The Beatles are a pretty nice band, and we've got a lot to say. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfit a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine. Everybody's got something to hide, except for me and my monkey. Come on, 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 This is a fun one. Second CD or side three, whatever you want to call it, of the White Album. Second CD? My man. This is cassette tape erasure. <laughs> Sorry, I've derailed this immediately. <laughs> uh, the twentieth single, uh, if you want. Uh, anyway, the, the, this area of the no, album, I'm, I'm, I'm just joshing. No, I well, I, I'd hope so. Uh, this is the Beatles kicking out the jams, and you know, I'm all for it. Lots to love here. Uh, the Fireman's Bell, played by Paul. George's guitar riffs, John's vocals. The backing vocals, particularly with the commands that I that I just uh, faithfully. Come on, come on, come on! No, come on, 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 come on! And I faithfully just said, uh, and the howls in the background that you could pick up on the headphones, they're cool too. Um, this song is stupid, and that is totally fine. Yeah, this is a real hoot to listen to, uh, and it really sounds hates. like it's. And it, it sounds like it was actually fun to be there recording it in the studio, which you mm. can't say about most of this record, <laughs> records, or CDs, um, or cassettes. You know, or cassettes. Uh, while listening to it, like I turned it up louder and like just really got into the spirit of it all. Uh, there's not a lot of Beatles songs that I would consider bangers, but this I would. All bangers. All the time. That's my motto. Would you say you said this was a hoot? But would yes. you call it a hoot nanny? Well, that's a program on BBC with a former squeeze keyboardist Jules Holland. If we need to bring back squeeze talk, <laughs> sure. Why not call it a hoot nanny or or the replacements record? There. You that's go. what I was going to say. Yeah, we could. Yes. Replacements talk. Sorry, the hoot nanny is the is their uh, New Year's show. Um, oh, okay. Yes, um, on the Beeb. Okay, I I, I didn't know that I was unfamiliar with the show. Certainly, it's, Jules Holland. Yeah, but. yeah. It's it's basically later with Jules Holland, but on New Year's Eve. Okay. But yes, the hoot nanny. I'd call it a hoot nanny. Sure, why not? I think yeah. I don't know if I'd bring a fireman's bell to a hoot nanny, but I guess Paul would. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's good exercise. It sounds like it's pretty heavy. Oh, it sounds like it's real heavy. So this song, let, let me tell you about this song, Andrew. It's a bridge between the willful nonsense of I Am the Walrus and the confessional songs of his early solo career. Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey was written by John about his relationship with Yoko. John said, that was just a sort of nice line that I made into his song. It was about me and Yoko. Everybody seemed to be paranoid except for us two who were in the glow of love. Everything is clear and open when you're in love. Everybody was sort of tense around this. You know, what is she doing here at the session? Why is she with him? All this sort of madness is going on around us because we just happen to want to be together. 
all the Is time. she really going out with him? Is she really going to take him home tonight? Or do my eyes deceive me? Let her refer to the song in the final interview he gave before his murder, spoiler, in December 1980, saying, as I put it in my last incarnation, everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. It re- means really that one cannot be absolutely oneself in public, because the fact that you're in public makes you... You have to have some kind of defense or whatever it is. Um, interestingly, Jala denied that this was about heroin, but he hmm. did. But he did, you know, once again rail at the critics of the Beatles because he said uh, of the song, "It's a bit simplistic." No, they said it was a bit simplistic. No imagery in it. Perhaps I should have said your inside is like a whale juice dripping from the fermented foam of the TD Boppers' VD in Times Square as I ejected my white clown face with heroin at performed in Red Letter Knickers. Maybe then they'd like it, right? And this was in 1980. Uh, He's still upset. <laughs> it uh, wasn't Bob Dylan. Too far? Yeah, really? But I you can't picture Bob Dylan singing that. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> don't make me do the Bob Dylan voice. <laughs> make me do my voice. Your inside is like a whale juice. Lady is. Teeny Bopper's VD in Times Square. My white club face. Although Leonard denied the monkey of the title was widely taken to be a reference to heroin, as were the words, the deeper you go, the higher you fly. Apparently a monkey on the back was a jazz term for heroin addiction, uh, thought to have originated in the 1940s. Uh, to be yep. fair, you know, their heroin's also um, a horse, you know, and he was accused Oh, yeah, Henry of, the horse. Yeah. yeah. So what animal is not heroin? Yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I always kind of thought it was a reference to that, considering the, the, the term monkey on your back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, I just, that's, that was just where my mind went. Uh Henry the Horse, I'd never heard of that as a heroin reference, but, you know, I'm not a BBC censor in 1966, so. No, no. Spoiler alert. <laughs> That's, okay. Uh, I, I thought his monkey, ever since, it, you know, uh, I first heard the song or read the title, was about his wee-wee it was referencing. Oh, but, sure. You know, everybody's got some dice for me and my pee-pee, you know? Uh, that's all. Me and my snake, my snake, my trouser snake. Yeah, but it does have the same ring to it. So he said, "Monkey." That was what I thought. Sure. Yeah. Um. But the thing turns is, turns out we're well, both wrong. <laughs> yeah, because John and Yoko had begun taking heroin in 1968. They claimed they used it to escape the press interest in their relationship. I've never partaken in the the stuff. I guess. Nor have I been the subject of uh, concept speculation in the press. So who am I to judge? In his book, The Beatles Forever, Nicholas Schnaffner comments that while it was highly unlikely to have been an inspiration on Lennon, part of the negative public reaction to Ono's arrival in the Beatles' circle include posters depicting her as a monster with a monkey face running upon poor Judd's stooped back her talents digging inexorably into his shoulders. That is... It's horrible. Fucked up. But fortunately, Britain is no longer uh, racist. No. Uh, no. 
for the for the for the makers of Brexit. The lyrics contain some of the Maharishi's favorite sayings related to the meditation practice. According to George Harrison, aside from the reference to a monkey, the lyrics were almost entirely taken from the Maharishi's pronouncements. Harrison cited everybody's got something to hide and come on is such a joy as examples of their teacher's pet sayings. In the case of the latter, the Maharishi's full teaching was, come on, it's such a joy. Take it easy. Take it as it comes. Enjoy. Once again, don't say something in front of the Beatles. They are just going to use it in a song. Hey, are you writing this down? Don't, I told you not to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be even easier if they had cell phones too. If they, but uh, oh god, could you imagine the voice memos of John Lennon <laughs> and Monkey? The Beals rehearsed the song a number of times before turning it to tape. A demo version was recorded at George Harrison's Escher, Escher, sorry, bungalow in May 1968. It started as a gentle blues-based song with little hint of the rocker it would become. Initially known as Untitled, then Come On, Come On, it was first recorded at Abbey Road on June 26, 1968. It was the first. It was the Beatles' first full group session since early June because George Harrison had traveled to California to film his segments in the Ravi Shankar documentary Raga, and Ringo, eager to escape the acrimony within the band, chose to accompany him. During his time away, Harrison resolved to recommit to the guitar as his main instrument, having studied sitar and Dirichet tutelage since 1966. I wonder if he mentioned that in the Ravi Shankar's documentary, like, yeah, I'm done with sitar. This song thereby provides the first example of Harrison's vigorous return to form to the guitar on the White Album, as he contributes a, quote, angry, droning jabber. Yeah, that's fair. The next day they record... Yes, go ahead. Oh, no, I love his guitar part. I, I think that that guitar line at the end of the chorus is one of Harrison's best. Mm-hmm. I, I assume he also does a... Oh, absolutely, yeah. The next day they record six takes of the still-untitled song under the last days they overdubbed a number of instruments, including two lead guitars, handbell, and shaker. On July 1st, Paul added a first bass guitar part and John added new lead vocals, but the latter was replaced on July 23rd. The backing vocals, including the frantic ending, hand claps, and other bass guitar were also recorded that day. The song was mixed for mono. The stereo mix followed on October 12, 1968. Jeff Everett did not like the song because he has uh, poor memory, uh, bad memory attached to it. Uh, he wrote it in sure. book. I thought that Revolution 1 was raucous and unpleasant, but it had nothing on this track. Once again, the Bills were playing incredibly loud down in the studio. He sounds like an old man. He does. Yeah, and he was like 18. <laughs> but <laughs> this time, with the Leonard Beatles, Harrison, ages you. Turn it down! But this time, Lennon and Harrison had their volume turned up so high that Paul actually gave up competing with them. Rather than play bass on the backing track, he stood next to Ringo, ringing a huge fireman's bell, egging his drummer on. There was no microphone on him because the thing was so loud that it bled on all the mics anyway. Physically, it was very difficult to pull off. Paul had to take a break after each take because his shoulders were aching so much. But he got swole. As much as I disliked the song, I had to admit that it was the first time in any of the White Album sessions that there was any energy in their playing. George Harrison's lead work was crisp and efficient, much more aggressive than his usual style. 
The base part Paul overdubbed on was good too. Clearly, he was still determined to do his best, no matter what was going on between him and John. Needless to say, by the time the track was completed, I had a splitting headache. That evening, Paul had walked into the control room on his way in and unceremoniously plunked a bottle of Johnny Walker down on the table, saying, This is for you, boys. George Martin looked askance. He was probably thinking, Oh, God, this is the end of the session. Now Jeff and Richard are going to get pissed. Somehow, though, we restrained ourselves until after everyone had got home, at which point we drained the entire bottle. <sighs> Writing for Rolling Stone shortly after Harrison's death in November 2001, David Frick featured the track in his article of 25 Essential Harrison Performances. Calling it an explosion of blistering guitars and barking vocals, Frick concluded the song is a Lennon salute to the joys of 1950s rock and roll animalism. But its locomotive heart is Harrison's whirl-around guitar figure played with ferocious attitude. It's Lennon's crisp strum and the incessant clang of a handbell. In 2018, the music staff of Time Out London ranked the track at number 13 on their list of the best Beatles songs. That's for awful. Wow. Yeah. Larry Harlow did a cover as Me and My Monkey on his album of the same name in 1969. Fats Domino covered the song in 69. In a 72 interview, Lennon highlighted it as a great version. The Feelies did a cover of the song on their 1980 debut album, Crazy Rhythms. That's a classic album. Soundgarden covered the song during a 1989 Peel session. Fish, of course, on their album Live Fish, Volume 13. Still hey. listening. Kristen Hirsch on her 1999 EP Echo, and when Mojo released the White Album Recovered in, in 2008, part of a continuing series of CDs, CDs, of Beatles albums covered track <laughs> by track by Byron Artists, the track was covered by My Brightest Diamond. Love count, zero. You know a monkey was involved. Josie Scale, I give this a yeah. I agree. This one gets a yeah for me too. The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot. So are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Someday we'll judge if they're fine. Oh yeah. Someday we'll judge if they're fine.